0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today's episode, we start out with our Clark Stink segment. Hope you have some good ones for me this week. After that, if you or someone you know has struggled to open a bank account, I have some ideas for you. I also want to mention we will not have a podcast episode this Monday, Memorial Day, and Memorial Day, for many people, is the unofficial kickoff to summer, and as I've talked about in the past, very few Americans serve in the U.S. military anymore and even know people who serve in the military, and so people don't really know the purpose of Memorial Day, and it is a day to remember and appreciate those who lost their lives protecting our freedom here in the United States. And I just want to mention, I know it's not Veterans Day, and if you're listening, you obviously have survived your service in the military, but I want to express to you how grateful I am to you for serving our nation and protecting our freedom. Uh, One of the freedoms we have that goes all the way back to the original U.S. Constitution is freedom of speech. And I love that you take the opportunity that freedom affords to let me know where I have failed to serve you well with the advice, info, or opinions you've heard from me on our podcast. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You
1: should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: Maybe you're right, pal.
1: All right, Clark, you ready for this week's version of Clark Stinks? I sure am. Okay, we're going to start with two about the same topic. An employer that asks an employee to cash a check and turn right back around and return the funds to the employer sounds like money laundering. The employer may or may not be doing it intentionally, but nonetheless, it could be categorized as such. Please recommend people never, ever serve as intermediaries in any transaction that ultimately returns some or all of the funds to the original provider. And then Rose wrote, Clark, you made my heart skip a beat in your answer to the person who asked about their employer writing personal checks to them. It doesn't matter how small the company is, that should never happen. It could turn into a nightmare for the employee if the employer is ever audited by the IRS because they could claim those checks were wages, leaving the employee in hot water. When there is an employer-employee relationship, the only financial transactions that should be occurring between the two are the payment of wages and benefits. This situation makes it too easy for the employer to claim those payments as an expense, which would be taxable to the employee.
0: Rose, I appreciate your post and the anonymous post as well. My answer on this question was weak, and you are right that it's not something to take lightly when an employer tries to get you to cash personal checks for them.
1: Okay. I binged a bunch of podcasts while on a road trip recently, and I was struck by something that's missing in Clark's considerations of the total cost of purchases, sustainability. While Walmart and other low cost stores are selling products on the cheap, consumers should be when they can afford to aware that the $5 shirt you buy at Walmart that lasts a year costs something in raw materials, human labor, etc., cetera, to make, ship, sell, and eventually dispose of. While I totally get Clark's focuses on financial well-being, and he's my go-to for my own, sustaining our environment and humanity should be worth a mention, no? I highly recommend the book Ecological Economics. I regularly consider the information that the authors provide with the good advice Clark gives and really feel like both have an important place in my world. Lynn.
0: Thank you, Lynn, for that post. So I'm speaking to you right now in an $8 Target shirt, and I have... (laughs) Sam's Club shirts that cost me $7.99, basically $8. I don't think I have any Walmart shirts right now. I used to buy $5 shirts at Walmart. And for me, I wear them for years. My son says I shop at places that I don't buy any fashion at all. That he just is absolutely appalled by how unfashionable his father is and the clothes he wears. So I don't find that the clothes that I buy are in fact disposable. They're not fast fashion like you'd get from H&M or Zara where people do dispose of the clothes quite quickly. So I buy 100% cotton. I don't find that the quality of what I'm buying on the cheap is bad quality because it does go on and on for years. I'm able to wear the things for years. But your point is valid. The cost of an item is not everything if you look at the whole cycle involved in the manufacture and transport, the materials used and the rest, that we do need to be more aware of what will help us be sustainable as a people both here in the United States and around the world.
1: Upon reading the rule of 752, it has the opposite effect on me. I have been frugal all my life, and now that I'm nearing retirement, I see how little it will cost me to enjoy life more.
0: Daryl. Daryl, thank you. And the idea of this rule of 752 that we have on Clark.com is how little expenses can really add up. So you take the cost of something per day and multiply it the weekly expense to see the real cost over 10 years and versus what would happen if you invested that money over those years. And so we take things like what your coffee costs each morning, what lunch costs each morning, and on like that, that little expenses over time can really add up. But as I shared with you just recently on the podcast, the big expense in people's lives is actually what they pay for housing and transportation. The other things are really, really clear. Now, in your case, as you said, you were frugal your whole life, and the reality is what you saw from the examples was that since you have been frugal your whole life, and now you're at retirement, that you can engage in life's simple pleasures and still be okay financially, and that's great.
1: Recommending Google Photos while it proves to be monitoring your broadcast defies logic. The photos you upload to their servers have the location data and faces of your friends and family. Google already knows too much about you. Just because something's free does not make it a good idea, Sherry.
0: Sherry, thank you. Now, you can turn off in Google Photos settings all the things about them, tracking people in the ways you describe. You choose through permissions what tracking will take place. And um, something else, you know, Google, because they are facing a lot of blowback on privacy issues, now has done some changes across Google platforms to give you more control over your privacy. That's something I need to address more in depth at a future time.
1: You profess to be all about helping people save money and invest wisely. You bash timeshares, big banks, cable companies, and broker fees. But you fail to criticize one of the most financially irresponsible things people invest in these days, pets. You talk about a depreciating asset, the money to purchase, feed, board, vaccinate, groom, and outrageous vet bills. Not even mentioning ripping the furniture apart, and then they die. Oh, but they bring so much joy to the household. So do timeshares, cable TV, and brokers. Tell people to invest that money for their happy retirement and enjoyment and watch it actually grow, Mark.
0: Mark, Mark, okay. Um, okay, first of all, I don't want any posts picking on Mark from pet owners because Mark, let me tell you, you start talking about people's dogs or cats, you start talking about their pets, People will get really fired up at you. Um, People choose the discretionary spending they choose, and they love their pets. The reality is when people hit economic hard times, many times that's when a pet is put up for adoption or turned over to Humane Society or whatever, to a rescue group. So it is true that owning a pet is expensive and we have a pet who tends to get herself into danger a lot eating things she shouldn't and I refer to it as another course of college tuition down the drain <laughs> with our pet but um, man pets bring people just endless joy and Krista can tell you that the pets that you've had in your life have meant so much to you and the ones you have now mean so much to you. Yeah, they're
1: family members to us.
0: So that's- I mean,
1: kids are expensive too, but I'm glad I have them.
0: (laughs) So Mark, I think that's it, that it's hard to compare a pet to an inanimate object like a timeshare, cable TV, whatever like that.
1: Okay, lots about this one, Clark. A listener mentioned one should always sign their name on the back of a credit card or debit card to help prevent someone from fraudulently using it. You agreed with this recommendation. Although it's a good one, it has its weaknesses. If you sign the card, a skilled fraudster could easily learn to replicate your signature, at least enough to fool a retail merchant, who will probably only spend a few seconds comparing the signatures. I think there's an even better solution to help prevent fraudulent use of your cards. On all of my cards, I write in permanent ink, see photo ID, instead of signing my signature. Evan. Evan.
0: Evan, thank you. And this is a suggestion. I've actually made the suggestion over the years that you sign and then put next to it, C photo ID. Now let's talk about what happens though on a typical day when you're using a credit card. Nobody is looking at your signature at all anymore. You know, you're paying at an electronic pad. And what I recommend is that you do something really goofy like sign Abraham Lincoln or something like that and that way, that will become your signature that if somebody later is still steals your card and is using it, and they're trying to sign your name, you'll be able to say, hey, look at the signature that I use repeatedly. And you'll see that this transaction definitely is not me that a fraudster did. It's just a freaky idea.
1: Clark was talking about the importance of having a will in order to ensure that one could pass on his or her assets, etc. And he said onto loved ones or a spouse after death. I'm sure Clark meant even a spouse. However, I had to chuckle at this apparent slip. Hopefully his wife didn't catch that gaffe. Chris from Washington.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Trying to cause trouble for me with Lane, huh? <laughs>
1: All right. You almost gave me a heart attack with your story of giving your wife, again, Lane's being brought up a lot, a Starbucks gift card from Coinstar using your spare change. That idea stinks more than Coinstar fees. You should be bringing your coins to a credit union. Many credit unions have a coin counting machine in the lobby that is free to use for members, and the credit union will deposit the entire amount with no fees directly into your account. Then your wife can use your favorite cashback credit card at Starbucks, so you get at least 2% back and you still get the full value of your spare change. Thanks, Logan.
0: Thank you, Logan, and you're right. The problem I've had is my credit union has not opened any of its branches yet. They're still in coronavirus protocol, and the employees are still working virtually. They have these really cool electronic teller things you go to, and you see the person, the teller you're dealing with, but everything is done through that um, modified super fancy ATM. And the tellers are working from their own kitchen tables or a spare room in their home. So I don't have an actual physical lobby I can go to right now. And I want to thank all of you for posting to clark.com slash Stinks. You help me so much because there are things that I'll say in the moment, answering a question from someone, and you'll bring up perspectives that I just flat-out missed. Coming ahead, I want to talk about what it's like to be unbanked in the United States and what you can do about it. The nation's banks have been going bonkers over an old proposal that has come back to life, which is about the Postal Service offering bank accounts that are fee-free to people who are lower income. This is something that's done in some other countries, and the time for that is long since passed. The Postal Service itself, short-staffed, having a lot of its own internal problems. It's not a viable option to look for a government remedy to this. The reality is technology is going to solve the problem of these quasi-public institutions, banks, Ignoring their obligations to the public because you do so at your peril, where banks only like to cherry pick and gouge people with fee after fee after fee after fee. Because now a whole new financial sector is rising that is going to provide or already is providing bank services, bank accounts, credit cards, and the rest. Without all the ugly fees and without turning their noses up at people who don't have a lot of money. And the fintechs, as they're referred to, are bringing about enormous change. I've talked about Chime, among others. We've got a guide to online banks. The reality is you can go to a banking or a quasi-banking an app and have a bank account without having to worry about minimum balances, without having to worry about every possible junk fee. I mean, think about it. The bankers even have a publication called Fee Income Report that they look at with anticipation like you can't imagine, like a sports nut tuning into ESPN. Because what it does is it talks about, hey, We figured out another way to steal money from customers with another junk fee. You ought to try it at your bank. I mean, this is unbelievable. The culture of the banking business being all about ripping you off. The truth is, it doesn't have to be anymore. If you're in a position where you've never felt like you could deal with a bank account because when you did, you got hit with every fee imaginable. Know that we're in a new era with a lot of different ways for you to have a banking relationship where you don't have to go to check cashers. You don't have to deal with payday lenders. You don't have to do any of that stuff because legitimate stuff is available now for you even when you don't have steady income or you don't have a big balance to put in an account. And there are times that you have trouble maintaining any balance in the account. You're okay now, because you've got these app-based pseudo banks, and then you've got the online banks. Credit unions, they are all over the place. There are credit unions that offer fee-free checking accounts, no minimum balance and are very customer-friendly to people without a lot of money. And then there are credit unions that that's not really their thing. So the reality is, though, the DNA of the traditional banking business is total hostility to people who don't have big balances. Know that, avoid it, but don't avoid having banking-type accounts because otherwise the alternatives in the marketplace or bad, awful, expensive. Krista.
1: This is from Betsy. I'm 33 and thinking about switching careers into finance management. A friend has approached me about a position that would require pre-certification exams. I'm looking at series six, 63 and 65 specifically that I would need to obtain. And I'm wondering if this is a meaningful line of work in your opinion. After listening to you for so many years, I think I would really like finance management with the intention of helping people with financial stability, but I also don't want to go full speed ahead if the return on my own investment is minimal. I make about $50,000 in my current position, and although I can move up in my current field, I don't really think I want to make this my career. I'll be starting at the bottom again, which is fine, but I hope to be able to set myself up for bigger success in the future. Any advice or common misconceptions I
0: should know about? So getting into the securities field is something that I would like you to approach this way. I want you to go interview for information fee-only financial planners uh, and talk to them about why they do what they do, why they love it, and what the potential is for you. And Betsy, as a woman of your age, you were in much demand in the financial industry, because there's been some exposure over the last year about how the financial planning industry is overwhelmingly older white guys. And so the industry is looking to have more women and more minorities involved in offering financial planning services. So the field is wide open to you. You're going to be able to help other people. And so doing the interviewing for information with fee-only planners will be really helpful to you in assessing whether it is a good fit for you that you're going to end up having to do all that studying for those exams, which um, it's, uh, it's a pretty serious path passing the exams. And you may find that you want to go a different path after interviewing people in the business. It also might lead to some good job prospects for you just by going through the interviewing for information phase.
1: And from Andrew in New Jersey, I just read your Roth 401k article by Christopher Smith. It doesn't address opportunity costs associated with using pre-tax dollars. Any reason why that wasn't discussed?
0: So the advantage you're talking about of using pre-tax dollars is that you have more net money in your paycheck that can be used for other purposes. So I want to tell you my whole philosophy is underhanded and conniving. <laughs> I really want you to participate in Ross for multiple reasons. Uh, the first and primary that was addressed in Christopher's story is that it's my strong belief that tax rates will be higher in the future than they are now to deal with our extreme budget deficits, and the level of debt we have to service in the country. But the other thing is you talked about opportunity cost. Let me, let me flip that on its head. So when people put money in a Roth 401k, they tend to put the same percent of their pay in it as they would with a traditional. But they essentially will end up net with at least 30% more spending power in retirement because none of that money will be taxed down the road where everything in a traditional will be taxed. So effectively, I'm getting people to save more money for retirement, saving more of their dollars that they're earning from a paycheck. So it is an underhanded and um, misleading way to get people to effectively save more of every paycheck for the future.
1: This is from Roland in Arizona. I recently purchased a car from a dealer and informed them I was paying cash via personal check. I was informed that they had to do a credit check. My credit score ranges between 833 and 838, depending on who you ask, so I wasn't concerned. However, my score did take a hit because of it, temporarily. Why does the dealer insist on doing a credit check when I'm paying cash?
0: So Roland, the whole idea is the dealer was trying to pressure you into taking out a loan because the loan's a very profitable part of the transaction. A dealer does have a responsibility to verify your true identity, but that should not take a hard inquiry on your credit. So you ended up not applying for credit. They did a hard inquiry and damaged your credit standing temporarily And it's because the dealers despise anybody paying with cash.
1: Tina in Florida says, I have a link posting website for large companies offering to help me set up my own home-based business. The person that I spoke with on the phone, along with the website advertisement I saw, told me that the companies I post ad links for will pay me directly. So far, they want me to apply for two credit cards to help with business expenses. Can you tell me if this is a legitimate business and where I can make profit, or is it a scam?
0: Run, run, run away. This is totally bogus. Don't go anywhere near this because this is not a legitimate business opportunity. You are on the verge of being scammed. And I want to thank you for joining us. We won't have a new episode on Monday in observance of Memorial Day, honoring those who made the ultimate sacrifice for your and my freedom.